please come and share with us. Thank you. Uh, no, he turned it off. Test? One, two? Is it on? Okay, cool. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, it is great to be back in the States. Uh, <laughs> a lot of you probably knew that I was stuck in Toronto for four days on the way back, so I got a little tired of the Toronto airport. Um, but God was good, and he got us back home safely. Uh, and I'm excited to be able to share with you guys uh, th- some of the things that we got to do and the places I got to see in Israel. Um, all right, so full disclosure, I have... <laughs> I have a lot of information that I can give, um, but for sake of time, I'm going to be moving very quickly through a lot of the slides up on the screen. Uh, So if you see something, you're like, whoa, he just, like, I I had a question about that. I wanted to know more about that. Please see me at the service, and, like, you can ask all sorts of questions, and I'll be happy to talk to you for hours, if you would like. Um, But, so I'll be moving very, very quickly. but yeah, please, if you have questions, come, uh, come to me afterwards, and I'd be happy to answer them. Overall, report of the trip, um, it was the greatest trip of my life. So it was an amazing opportunity to be able to go and walk in the places that Jesus walked and see the place, things that uh, you read in the Bible, and uh, it does really come to life uh, when you're there. And then the opportunities and the friendships that I built uh, while there as well was amazing. So I'm um, excited to share to a lot of you who helped me get there um, and kind of so you can see a little bit of what you were able to be a part of. Um, My goal in sharing with you this morning is that you would be able to see a glimpse of what I had the privilege of seeing in Israel and that your faith would be strengthened as mine was strengthened because the places mentioned in scripture are real places and the stories in its pages are really happened. Um, And I hope to share with you just some of the archaeological evidence, because I was on an archaeology trip, uh, an archaeological evidence that supports what we see in the biblical text. Um, God's word is reliable, and it's trustworthy, and so we can trust him knowing he's going to be faithful today just as he has been faithful in the past. So without further ado, I'm going to be moving really quickly. There's like, I went to 20 different locations in five days uh, (laughs) all over the country of Israel, so I'm going to be moving very quickly and trying to get kind of highlight some things at each location but okay first place like just like a second we landed in Israel like 10 a.m. we drove to Ashkelon which is like 45 minute drive from Tel Aviv and um, this is the first location that I went to every location I'm going to have like uh, all the scripture references at least the ones that my professor provided um, on the location so you're probably not going to have time to write all those down if you're interested. If you want to keep them, you can take a picture. You, I can give them to you after the service. But several scripture references to Ashkelon in the Bible. It's one of the five uh, cities in the Pentapolis, the Philistine Pentapolis. Uh, so it's a Philistine city, one of the major Philistine cities on the coast, the Mediterranean, uh, as you can see here. One of the things I got to see at um, Ashkelon is a middle bronze gate, uh, which basically, if when you get into the periods, middle bronze is about uh, the time of Abraham. So you have like, this gate would have been there when Abraham was walking around in the land. Like, and this is, we got to visit it, 
and you got to touch it. <laughs> um, and basically, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's still there today. And so that was really cool. This is basically from 4,000 years ago, uh, about 2000 BC. Next place we went up to visit was Joppa. There's some references to Joppa there. Um, basically, Joppa is a port city. This is about a little bit further north of Ashkelon. If you're interested, I have a map in the very back. There's a table back there just to the right of the exit. And uh, I have a map of like Israel and I have the route like dr drawn on the map so you can see kind of like the route that I took. But this is just north of Ashkelon. Uh, you're looking kind of at uh, the modern city of Tel Aviv right here. But it's another coastal city. This is a city that like Solomon, uh, the materials for Solomon's temple would have come into this city. Um, and then you also get, this is where Jonah fled when he was fleeing from the Lord. Uh, instead of going to Nineveh, where he was called to go, he fl fled to Joppa, gone in a boat. And then off the coast of Joppa, somewhere out there, is where you get the story of him being swallowed by the great fish and everything like that. So a uh, very familiar story. That would have happened just off this coast. Um, this is also the place where Peter raised Tabitha uh, from the dead in Joppa in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and then also kind of the place where Peter was when Cornelius, who was up in Caesarea, uh, sent messengers to him, telling him to come and uh, preach the gospel to him at Caesarea. Uh, but Peter was here. This is where he saw the vision of the animals being lowered in a sheet. It would have been here at, um, at Joppa. So there's a city, uh, the skyline of modern Tel Aviv in Israel. But Okay, Caesarea. I wanted to spend a little bit of time in Caesarea because it was a really cool location. Um, basically, it's mentioned all over in Acts. Uh, Acts is like lots of references to Caesarea and Acts. This is an amphitheater at Caesarea. Um, there's my professor, Dr. Rodriguez, who is leading the trip. You can look here. This is also on the coast. This is actually the remains of Herod the Great's palace. Um, basically, Herod built this palace and it would have been like kind of like the main place that the governors in the land would have stayed. So not only was it a place that Herod the Great would have stayed, but also probably would have been the place that Pontius Pilate would have stayed uh, as well. Uh, he would have been in Jerusalem maybe for the Passover feast, but he probably predominantly resided here. And uh, this is the uh, palace that um, at Caesarea, and this is his swimming pool. Like, literally, this is a, the, this, this perfect, like, rectangular shape, they say, is like the swimming pool that Herod the Great would have had in his palace. Um, and uh, so we got to walk around that, splash our hands in it a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, this is me and my roommate, Cade, at Caesarea. Um, and then I want to get to this picture. This picture, you can see, this is a, one of the students um, on the trip, uh, Haley. She is standing in the room, this kind of like rectangular room here, um, that is a very possible location uh, for where Paul appealed to Caesar. Um, this is kind of like a hearing room in uh, Herod's palace. And it, it we read in Acts, uh, I think it's tw chapter 25. Yes, Acts 25, um, Paul appeals to Caesar. And, it, and they think it's, possible that it would have been in this actual room right here. Um, so very cool. 
And then the coolest thing that my professor kind of talked about, uh, about with Caesarea is that I never really thought about. It's really kind of the location of like where salvation for the Gentiles kind of started because you have the Cornelius' house is here in uh, Caesarea and it is where the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles for the first time, which you read in Acts chapter 10. Uh, so Peter came from Joppa, walked up to Caesarea. Um, for us, it was like a 30-minute drive. Um, <laughs> but he came up to, to Caesarea and preached the gospel to Cornelius and his household, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and this is kind of like salvation for the Gentiles. And so praise God that you know, God is gracious enough not only to offer salvation to the Jews, his people, but also grafting us in as Gentiles uh, to save us as well. Um, so that was really cool for me. So, uh, yeah, this is the wall of Caesarea, ancient wall, very cool, um, and just one of my favorite places that we visited. Just outside the city to the north, we visited um, Herod's, uh, Herod the Great's aqueduct that he built to bring water from Mount Carmel area to Caesarea. Uh, and I won't go into detail on that, but it is actually a really cool like feat of engineering, like how it brings water to the city, and it was just very, very impressive, and I can tell you more about that later if you want. Mount Carmel, I, I mean, I have two back-to-back, -back, like, favorite places here. They were all great, but Caesarea and Mount Carmel were one of my favorite places that we visited. Mount Carmel, because it's one of my favorite places because you get the story of, in 1 Kings chapter 18, of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Um, and that has always been one of my favorite stories. If you know the story, you're familiar with the story, you know you have Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to meet at Mount Carmel. says, you know, you call upon your God to rain down fire on the altar. I'll call upon my God, whichever answers uh, is the true God. And of course, the God of Israel rains down fire, burns up the altar, and that's the basic part of the story. So it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And... This is Mount Carmel, like from the top of Mount Carmel, looking kind of east towards the Jezreel Valley. And um, something really cool that about the Mount Carmel area is like we, they can more or less get a very good guess of like where this ev like event actually happened on Mount Carmel. So there's this kind of like this field that's kind of like at the base of the, the mountain here. Um, well, it's on the mountain, but it's kind of at the base of the slope. And um, it's like a nice flat area. It's relatively open now, um, but it, there's not really a whole lot of areas where you can gather like a large group of people. And so this area is one of the locations that you can, like, you can easily gather like a whole bunch of people uh, together. I mean, if you think about it in the story, you know, where you read that there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and then there's like the peoples from the villages and stuff that are coming to watch the spectacle. <coughs> like it would have been really a large group of people that are gathering together. And then you also get, like Elijah tells him to pour water on the altar like three times. And you're like, okay, if you knew the context of the story, it's in the middle of a drought. So like where are they getting all this water from? There's not going to be like natural rainwater just lying around. Uh, they had to be, you know, getting this water from somewhere. Uh, there's a natural spring just off the edge of the picture right here that is still there today that you would be able to get large amounts of water. Um, and so it's possible 
not for sure, but possible, that this little location down here is the site where this event actually happened. You have a nice big area for that you could gather large amounts of people. You have a um, spring that you can get large amounts of water from. And uh, so it was just really cool to read the story and kind of look at this here and think, man, th this, could, this happened. If not right there, it happened really nearby. Um, and you can also, later in the story, y you have Elijah and he tells his servant to run up the hill and um, look towards the sea and tell him what he sees. So if you, you can see down here, this is kind of like the field that I was talking about. We're kind of sitting up top here. If you have the servant running up the hill to where we are, and then you turn to the right here, and you look towards the sea, you, can, you can't really see it in the picture. You can, and, and you can kind of see it. This is Mediterranean Sea out here. So like you can see the sea. You can just imagine him running up the hill to where we are, looking out towards the sea. He says he, you know, he doesn't see anything like the first two times. He goes back the third time, and he's like, I can see like little white wispy clouds. And it just so happened that that's what was above the horizon on that day. Those little tiny white wispy clouds. And, it's, and he's like, okay, prepare for rain. It's coming. And anyway, it was just like a, one of those stories that really came to life for me uh, while I was there uh, at Mount Carmel. Um, next location is Megiddo, which is just down the hill from Mount Carmel uh, on the edge of the Jezreel Valley. A couple things I want to highlight with Megiddo is one of the cities that Solomon fortified during his reign, uh, which we can read in 1 Kings 9. Um, but something that's interesting, kind of tie some archaeology in here and how archaeology supports scripture, is you have, um, th basically, we're told that Solomon, um, well, Solomon uh, fortifies this, uh, three cities in his reign in 1 Kings 9. It says Hatsor, Megiddo, and Gezer. And interestingly, we find the same six-chambered gate at all three locations that date to the time of Solomon. Uh, and so if you think about like, oh, you're wanting to fortify a city, what's one of the things you probably want to fortify that's like known as kind of like the weakest point of the city, the gate? It would, you know, it would be the gate. And so it's just kind of interesting that, you know, we, we find the same fortification of, you know, gates at all three cities, and then the scripture says just that, you know, he fortified these three cities. So something that's just kind of cool. Um, it's called the six-chamber gate because you have six chambers, on uh, three on each side. That one's kind of filled in there. But, um, yeah, so that we got to see that. This is the Jezreel Valley. Um, one, one cool reference of, uh, of Megiddo uh, is that um, you have, uh, basically in Revelation 16, 16, you have a reference to Armageddon which uh, can be translated to Tel Megiddo, or, or I forget the exact wording of it, but it's basically Tel Megiddo. And so it's said in Revelation 16, 16 that it's going to be the location of the, the final battle kind of between like God's people and, and, and evil. Um, and so that's going to be where it all, all happens. And uh, it was, we were right there looking at this valley um, where that final battle is going to happen, and so that was really cool. And here we are getting to walk through the water system at Megiddo as well, which was really cool. Beit Shan, I won't explain much about Beit Shan. We didn't actually go into the 
to the park, we just um, basically had time to, uh, we, the park had closed, we were kind of overlooking it. But this is Beit Shan. Main significance of Beit Shan in the Bible, uh, when Saul was killed on Mount Gilboa, his body was taken and hung on the wall at Beit Shan. Uh, and it also gives me a chance to kind of talk about um, what a tell is. So in archaeology, there's we, we use the term a tell very often. Basically, it's an artificial or man-made hill. Uh, you have um, like somewhat like of a natural hill here that maybe a civilization, ancient times, builds a city on top of. But then that city gets destroyed, and then another civilization, or the same, just later, comes and builds a city on top of that, the ruins. And it basically, you just have civilization upon civilization upon civilization <coughs> over time, and it creates this artificial hill that we call a tell. Um, and several um, places can have many, many layers of occupation. Uh, like, for instance, Megiddo, which we were just, I just talked about, has, uh, archaeologists have found 26 layers of occupation at Megiddo. Uh, and generally speaking, um, the more recent civilizations are going to be on top, the later uh, um, civilizations are going to be on the bottom. Um, but you do have kind of like a more recent um, Roman city, uh, kind of at its base, but like the city during the Philistines, uh, during Saul's day would have been up uh, here on the top of the hill. Arbel Cliffs, um, that was something that we kind of just briefly, uh, let's see, got my notes out of order here. Arbel Cliffs are something that we just briefly had a chance to um, kind of go to. Uh, there's not really any major uh, significance or direct references um, in the Bible to them. But they overlook the Sea of Galilee. And so it is in kind of like the northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee. This is where the northern end of the sea right here that we're looking at. Um, and we're looking kind of at the plains of Gennesaret. So we're looking where a lot of Jesus' Galilean ministry would have happened. Um, so uh, Magdala is actually just right down here, kind of, I think maybe a little bit behind the rock, uh, but that would have been the city that Mary Magdalene is from. Uh, Capernaum is just kind of in the haze back there, way back there somewhere, um, and so you can't really see it, but, uh, but it would have been in that area, but it's almost for sure, like, this is a major route that would have been traveled a lot, um, so Jesus would have walked right through here, um, and that's just really cool. <laughs> um, and so uh, we got good views of the Sea of Galilee, of the uh, um, uh, Sea of Galilee region, CCU flag there in the team. And then we got to literally climb down the cliffs. <laughs> it was a rather sketchy climb at, at times, but we all made it down safe, um, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, we also got to explore some Ottoman Turk ruins from the 17th century, so not nearly as old, but still cool. Okay, then we went to Capernaum. Capernaum um, was also really cool. So it's the town that Jesus chose to be the base for his ministry in Galilee. It's the hometown of Peter. And uh, there we are, posing at the gate to the Capernaum uh, town of Jesus. We ought to visit a 4th century synagogue, um, which 4th century AD um, synagogue, which actually stands on the foundation stones of the first century synagogue. 
So if you look here, you have the white stones on top. Uh, that's from the 4th century synagogue. The white stones are not from the area. Like, they, they had to have imported them. Um, but the black stones are like basalt, and they would are very, very common in the area. And this would have been the 1st century stones. And so this is the foundation of the 1st century synagogue, which would have been there during the time of Jesus. Jesus did preach in the synagogue. He uh, cast out a demon in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. Um, and he claims to be the bread of life in the synagogue. Um, uh, he, he makes that claim uh, in the synagogue in John 6, 48. And so these stones would have heard all that. <laughs> like they, they, they would have been there during when that was happening. And that's what this is sitting on. This, is, this synagogue is sitting on these stones. Uh, and so that was really, really cool to be able to um, see stones that would have been there during when, when Jesus was right there. And then if you read in the passage, it says that in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 1, transitioning to Mark chapter 2, Jesus says he leaves the synagogue and walks over to Peter's house. And it seems like there's like some proximity there, like really close proximity. And archaeologists have found a building. So this is a modern church uh, that is actually built on top of the ruins of what archaeologists think is Peter's house. And I could go into why they think that. I, I think th the argument is pretty good. Um, it's actually very possible that the Peter's house would have been right here. And that's the synagogue. And so if Jesus maybe leave, you know, leaving the synagogue and walking over to Peter's house, it, like, it's very, very close. Um, and the, um, inside Peter's house, so this is one major room like inside uh, Peter's house. Uh, this is like the modern building built on top of it. But this is the, the remains of like the biggest room in Peter's house. This could have been, it's falling off, excuse me, there, oh, there we go, <laughs> uh, this could have been the uh, remains, or this could have been the room that the paralytic that was lowered from the ceiling and was healed in P uh, Peter's house, that could have been the room that he was lowered into, right there. Um, don't know that for sure, that's an educated guess, but it is a possibility. Um, so that's just, yeah, again, really cool. And it is really close, right next to the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is basically in Peter's backyard. So uh, there's a view of that. So now we're going to go to Caesarea Philippi. This thing is giving me trouble. Caesarea Philippi is way up north. Um, I'm not going to spend much time here, but basically it's the location of uh, where Peter makes the great confession. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus says, who, you know, who do pe people say I, that I am? He's like, oh, John the Baptist or, or Elijah. Or, um, and he's like, well, who do you say that I am? He's like, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, this is where that confession would have, or around the area where that confession would have happened. Uh, today there is a um, temple to like a Greek god there. Um, we got to kind of look at that. But it is also like the location of um, one of the major springs that feed the Jordan River. Uh, there's six major springs that feed the Jordan River, and this is the second largest spring uh, there. So we got to see that. Nimrod's Fortress. 
Nimrod's fortress is a um, crusader fortress. Uh, it was built by the Muslim fortress, uh, Muslim forces. So from the time of the Crusades, but it's located on Mount Hermon, which is the tallest mountain in Israel, and is a good guess for the location of the transfiguration of Jesus. If you read in, uh, let's see, I think it's Matthew 16 and then going to Matthew 17, you, it, it, I think the start of Matthew 17, it says like six days after being at Caesarea Philippi, they, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto the high, high mountain, and it's like, well, you don't get any indication that they moved anywhere in that time. So they're at Caesarea Philippi, maybe, and then he goes up to the high mountain. The high mountain that's like Mount Hermon's like right there. So it's possible that he would have gone up Mount Hermon, uh, and that's where he was transfigured before his disciples. And um, so this is the fortress that's there. Some, just a really cool place. But then this is Mount Hermon and like, kind of like the slopes of it. So the transfiguration of Jesus may have happened in this area. Um, so I wanted to share that with you. And then Dan, I uh, won't say much about Dan, but it was very green, very lush. Is This is the location of the largest spring that fe feeds the Jordan River. Uh, and it's also the location of Jeroboam's high place. It's a, a story that not a, lot of, not a ton of people know. Uh, but basically, Jeroboam was a king uh, in Israel that erected two golden calves um, for the Israel to worship. Um, and he erected one at Dan and one at Bethel. This is the one at Dan. This is the location of where that golden calf would have stood. Also got to see another um, gate. This is an early bronze gate, which is before the time of Abraham. This would be probably around... 2500 to almost 3000 BC. So this is before Abraham, this gate would have been there. Jericho. Jericho, okay, so Jericho was cool. <laughs> so Jericho, <laughs> Jericho was, uh, so I, I, before going to Israel, I didn't even know that you could actually s like still see the remains of the city that Joshua actually conquered, but you can't. I, I thought that they were, uh, you know, gone, obliterated, whatever, and, uh, but this is actually the remains of the city that Joshua would have conquered. Um, this is the tell, kind of explained what a tell is already, um, but this wall that you can see my professor pointing to, uh, this right here, this is a retaining wall that would have held up the actual wall that fell in the conquest of Jer Jericho uh, in Joshua chapter 6. And so something that's kind of interesting, I thought, let's see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to turn to there, and you can as well if you want to use your Bibles. I, you didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> um, but if you turn to Joshua chapter 6, I'll just kind of read a little bit of the story um, and kind of talk about... Uh, kind of some insight, give you some insight here, kind of like what some of this passage uh, means. So you'll see in Joshua 6, verse 5, it says, and when they make, a, this is God speaking to Joshua, he says, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every one straight before him. 
Now, Bye Bible has a um, footnote next to down flat. The walls fell down flat. And then if you look at the bottom, mine says in Hebrew, it, the better translation would be the wall fell under itself or beneath itself. And archaeology, archaeologically, this makes sense because archaeologists actually found um, basically a pile of mud brick that was just at the base of this retaining wall. So if this retaining wall was holding up the actual wall and the, the, the wall fell, it crumbled to the base of this retaining wall. So it's kind of like, in a sense, like falling beneath itself. Uh, and then it also created a ramp for the Israelites to go, every man straight before him into the city. Uh, and so that was actually um, secular archaeologists that found those, that rubble that is at the base of um, this retaining wall. But this retaining wall would have heard the trumpets that, you know, th that Joshua and his, the Israelites blew to conquer the city of Jericho. Um, and, like, it, it was just really, really cool. And there's lots of different evidence uh, as well of, like, the conquest of Jericho and how it's supported archaeologically. Um, I could go into that. Uh, I think for sake of time, I won't, but I encourage you, if you are interested in hearing a little bit of the archaeological evidence for the conquest of Jericho, I'll be happy to tell you about that. I learned, uh, it was one of the topics that I learned about in um, my archaeology class this last semester and then a little bit in Israel as well. But I wanted to make mention of this. Um, this here is uh, what we're standing on, this structure, this is a tower um, that dates to the Neolithic period. And that, depending on kind of like how old you believe the Earth to be, this is like the oldest you can get. This is from about 8,000 BC. Uh, so this is like t possibly 10,000 years old, uh, and it is the oldest building in the world. Like, w there's nothing... No, no other structure or anything that archaeologists have found that date, you know, predates this. So this would have likely been built by the people a few civilizations, or a few generations after, like, the time of Noah. Um, and it's the oldest building in the world, making Jericho the, act, like, the oldest city in the world, um, you know, post-flood. So that's really cool again, and I got to stand on top of it. Um, now I'm going to move to Qumran. Qumran, not mentioned in scripture directly, uh, but it is the location where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Uh, this is, a, I believe, a copy. I don't think this is an actual Dead Sea Scroll, but um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found uh, here at Qumran in 11 different caves. Uh, it also is kind of like um, the wilderness of Judah. We're looking into the wilderness of Judah. Uh, and so when you kind of think about Jesus' temptation and like he goes out into the wilderness, wilderness and for 40 days, it, I mean, it probably would not be too far off to, to think of this. Like this is like kind of like what he was in for those 40 days without any food or water. And so you can imagine <laughs> it doesn't look very pleasant. Um, very dry. Uh, and we also got to see one of the caves that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in. Uh, like I said, there was 11 of them. Um, but this is cave number four, which they found fragments of um, 
fragments of Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, Isaiah, Psalms, and Lamentations in that cave. Uh, this cave and that cave are the same cave. But uh, this room here is actually thought to be a room where a lot of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were actually written in. They found lots of um, like ink cartridges of some sort and it indicated it might have been a room of like some sort of scribe or something like that. So it's possible that a lot of the, 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 uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually written in that room. And it was hot. It was very hot. <laughs> that was my <laughs> roommate dying of heat stroke nearly. Um, and that's the Dead Sea behind him. But speaking of Dead Sea, we went to Dead Sea and we swam in the Dead Sea. You can't really swim, it's more like float. Um, and it was very, very hard to like not float. So uh, that's some of our, the students on the trip that are floating in the Dead Sea, having lots of fun. I wasn't not gonna say much about the Dead Sea. It was just a fun outing that we got to do. Uh, and it was pretty. Masada. Uh, not a whole lot of, um, to mention about Masada either. It was a really cool place. Basically, it's this giant um, mesa that just is like cliffs on all sides, and then they built a fortress on top. And it is really impressive. And I was told by my professor, it's like when you think, when David says, uh, when David writes like, God, you are my rock and my fortress, it's possible that he is actually thinking of Masada because it, it is like an impenetrable fortress. You got cliffs on all sides and you're just like, you're way up high. If you look in this picture, I'm sitting on top of Masada on the Mesa and you can see kind of how high we are above like the surrounding uh, like valley. This is like looking down on like a Roman camp that actually would have been like a lot farther below uh, where I am. But it's, it's like, you kind of like think of Masada as like, wh when we think of like, God, you're in my rock and my fortress, kind of, I don't know, I kind of think of like, you know, it's a stone, you know, it's hard, you know, and, and, but like this is one of the places that kind of being there was really cool to me because it was like, I can be like, you know, God, you're my Masada because it's like, it's just, you have this image of like an impenetrable fortress uh, and that was really cool. Uh, and we were looking north towards the Dead Sea there, uh, kind of on the right-hand side. Uh, and this is kind of outside of Masada. This is some just a little bit further south, but uh, you can see the Dead Sea kind of behind me there. Almost, almost there, almost to the end here. Uh, we're getting to the, all the places that I visited. Um, went to Arad. Arad is, a, is really cool because it's a city that uh, is actually uh, like an early bronze site. Um, and so early bronze, uh, like I said with the early bronze gate earlier, um, it's like 3000 BC. So it's like a thousand years before Abraham. And so a lot of like these structures that you see here are date to about 3000 BC. Um, and so this civilization or this, you know, this city would have been built and then destroyed before Abraham even came along. <laughs> um, and so uh, we got to kind of explore that site. It's a really large site. Um, and uh, they also do have, uh, one of the locations, they have a um, Iron Age fortress, which is like the time of Solomon, uh, that we got to kind of uh, go around as well. Inside the Iron Age fortress, there's like these little, this little temple, uh, and there's these stones that are kind of erected, kind of symbolizing like deities. Um, basically, 
when you when you read like you know the, depending on wh- whether the king was good or bad in like First Kings or Chronicles, it says that you know he knocked down the high places or he or, you know re- erected the high places, depending on whether or not he was a good or bad king. That's probably kind of like what they mean. Like you have like these standing stones that would like represent a deity or something, a high place, and like they would knock those down if it was a good king or erect them if they were an evil king. But um, this is a just a traditional house uh, that would have been uh, used in the time of the early bronze uh, city. Beersheba, this is the last place that we went to on our uh, five-day tour. <laughs> um, lots and lots of references to Beersheba in the Bible. It is the town of um, the hometown of uh, Ab- Abraham and the patriarchs. Although this city that is here. Uh, and these pictures is actually an Iron Age city, so like about a thousand years after Abraham. Uh, but would have been the area of the home of Abraham and the patriarchs. And uh, this is also, they have an altar there that's um, not really part of the site, but they have, it's, what, it's called a horned altar. And it has like these horns on it. And I forget the exact reference, uh, but it's like you have the story, I think it's Solomon and his brother or something, uh, where he, his brother like flees to the, the altar and cleans to the altar thinking that my brother, like he, he won't kill me here. And I think Solomon just says, yeah, go in, drag him away from the altar and kill him. And so that we were reenacting that, just that, you know, jo- Joseph here is, uh, you know, hanging onto the horns of the altar and the guards are taking him away from to to uh, put him to death, so <laughs> uh, just something funny that we decided to do. But this is the gate of um, Beersheba. Uh, this is the Iron Age well. It's 70 meters deep. It's like 260 feet deep or something like that, um, which if you think you're, like, you're digging that by hand. <laughs> um, and so it's a really, really deep well. Uh, everybody's peering into it. And then... Um, we got to go into the uh, ancient water system uh, and kind of walk through that, so that was really cool. Um, and yeah, that was, that was Beersheba, so. All right, so now Jerusalem. I'll say some brief thing about Jerusalem and then I'll wrap up. So Jerusalem, really cool. Um, how am I doing on time? Okay, getting, getting long here. Um, but Jerusalem, we went to the Western Wall. Uh, this is the Western Wall here. Uh, it was on Shabbat, uh, so the Sabbath. Um, so we were there when all the festivities were happening. Uh, and that was exciting to see, but also kind of sad because you have like all these Jews that are like praying for the Messiah to come, and you're like, he, is, he came. He was right here. You know, he, he walked right, right by here, and you, you rejected him. Um, and so it was just kind of uh, somewhat the solemn th- thing to see uh, but it was really cool to kind of just see the, the Western Wall there. This is kind of like on the qu- a quiet side of the Western Wall, where these, all these stones that were thrown down from the Temple Mount, Jesus makes a prophecy when the, the disciples say, like, are admiring the stones of the Temple and everything, and of the Temple Mount. Um, and he says, you see these stones? Not one stone will be left on top of another that will not be thrown down. And these stones are the stones that were thrown down from the Temple Mount in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the temple. Uh, and apparently they have not been moved since they uh, fell. 
But these, this road that they're laying on is one of the major roads uh, that would have been a way to access the Temple Mount. So it's very likely that Jesus would have walked right on this road right here. It may have been on this road that he made the prophecy about the destruction of the, the uh, of Jerusalem. This is the Church of Holy Sepulchre right here. You have Jaffa Gate, um, Hezekiah's Broad Wall, uh, all places that we visited. Uh, we got some time to kind of speak with some Jews and, and just make friendships. You know, had some gospel opportunities with them in that regard. Um, but here, we're looking at the city of David. This is what Jerusalem would have been in the time of David. Uh, over here, you kind of have the edge of the Mount of Olives. This is the Mount of Olives here. Um, so this would have been the, the uh, hill that Jesus would have came down during his triumphal entry. Inside the city of David, they actually have the remains of um, what they believe to be David's palace. It's at the top of the <coughs> city of David. They found uh, like these capitals that are kind of symboli symbolize like royalty uh, at the, with this um, structures here. And so it's possible that this was actually David's palace. You also have this retaining wall that is here as well that would have been holding some sort of large structure up as well. So that's why another reason why they think this is David's palace. Got to visit that. And we also got to go through Hezekiah's tunnel. Uh, and if, I'm not sure how well you know the story of Hezekiah's tunnel, but basically it was dug by King Hezekiah uh, as a way to bring water from the Gihon Spring into the city. Uh, so that way they would have water in the time of like the Assyrians attacking Jerusalem. And um, so we got to walk through the tunnel that Hezekiah dug. It's about three quarters of or a half mile or three quarters of a mile, something like that. So a pretty long walk. And it's very tight. There's water that comes up to your knees, sometimes your thigh. There's still water flowing through it today. Um, and at times it's like 15 feet high, kind of like looks like what it is here. And other times it's like five feet high and you're having to bend over. So it's a little claustrophobic, but we made it through. <laughs> um, another place that we went, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, which is the traditional location for um, the location of Golgotha, or Golgotha the um, site of Jesus' death and resurrection. is Church of Holy Sepulchre is one of the locations that they think it uh, could have happened. Um, garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was betrayed. Um, there is a garden there today, uh, and there's a church of all nations that we were able to visit as well. Kind of had some quiet time there. That was really um, nice. We also went to the garden tomb. It's a, it's a tomb that uh, would have been very similar to the tomb that Jesus would have been laid in. Uh, so it's like this kind of tomb in the rock, and then you have um, this place where his body would have laid here, kind of uh, underneath this, what they call an archosolium, um, kind of like way burial place. Um, so that was really cool. Went to the Israel Museum, got to see the House of David inscription, indicating that David was a real person. Uh, and that he had a dynasty. Uh, I got to see the great Isaiah scroll, uh, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls here. Um, I think, again, this was a copy. I think the real one is in like a, uh, like in a, uh, forget the word for it, but it's like a, in an archive or something like that. Um, big model of the city of Jerusalem, really cool stuff. Got to see Pontius Pilate inscription, also indicating that Pontius Pilate was a real person. Uh, this is actually the bone box or the ossuary 
of Caiaphas, the high priest that tried Jesus, uh, also indicating he was a real person. This was kind of cool. This is a bone with a nail going through it. Um, this is a, a, like the wrist bone, um, showing that execution or you know that crucifixion was a method of execution in the in that time, and uh, just kind of shows a little bit of like you can just imagine like the pain that that would have caused. And it's just kind of a something that was kind of amazing to see. Um, but we did go to the Temple Mount, saw the Dome of the Rock, place where the temple would have stood. Uh, and got to kind of peer inside through a hole. I wasn't allowed to go inside. Um, but, yeah, so got to see that. Got to see the kind of like some stones in the Temple Mount that could date to like the time of Solomon. Like everything else would date to probably the time of Herod the Great, like 500, uh, or, or t uh, time of Herod the Great, which is like, you know, around the time of Jesus. Um, but like this one, maybe 10th century BC, like the time of Solomon. Okay, I'll wrap up. I talked a little longer than I wanted to, but that's, I hope I didn't bore you too much. <laughs> um, gospel opportunities. The reason why I went to Israel, right? Um, so we had several opportunities for the gospel while in Israel. Uh, funny enough, one of the, the greatest opportunities for the gospel that we had the entire trip was actually at a laundromat in Jerusalem. So nine people from the group myself included, needed to do laundry and had to s we decided to walk to the laundromat. We ended up carrying our laundry through like crowded streets for over a mile and then rode like a train for like another mile before we even got to the laundromat. And then we finally got there and it was tiny <laughs> and we had to pack all this, uh, all of our laundry into like one machine and it did not get clean. <laughs> um, but as we waited, we got to talking with this young man named Ryan. He was originally from Hong Kong uh, but was going to boarding school in the States. He was in Israel, oddly enough, on an archaeology dig at Megiddo. He was only 17. He came to Israel completely by himself. Uh, he said that w uh, he was a Christian, but admitted that his faith was wavering. And we kind of asked him why. And he's like, well, I think mostly because it's like the there seems to be contradictions in the Bible. And, and so we kind of explained to him like best we could, like, you know, God's word is reliable. It's inerrant. And we gave him the gospel. Um, the Lord really seemed to be working on his heart. You could just see there's just like a level of sensitivity there to it, what we were saying. And I think all nine of us just like, we said something. We added something to like the gospel and like what, what, what was, well not adding to the gospel, but added something to, to, um, to kind of encourage him. And um, Sam, one of our group, had a Bible with him that he wanted to give away while in Israel and he felt like this was the best time. So Sam gave Ryan the Bible, and Ryan gratefully received it and said he would read it. Uh, and we invited him to our worship night together, but he never came. However, just got back on Tuesday, and I think it was on Thursday, uh, Emma, uh, who's another person in our group, actually got Ryan's contact information on Instagram, and that she told us that Ryan had messaged her and said that he really appreciated our discussions and encouragement to him at the laundromat. He said that we, he truly felt his faith had grown stronger, and he also felt that he was, uh, and he also said that he was reading the Bible that Sam gave him. Uh, and this was such an unanswered to prayer, and it was so cool to see God work in that way. Like, we're, <laughs> we're going to a laundromat in Jerusalem, that's where we met this guy, and had one of the greatest opportunities to talk to the gospel with him. Um, 
like God works in mysterious ways. Uh, so that was really cool. We also had many opportunities uh, with people at the dig, um, which here's some sites, some, here's some of the pictures of the dig that I worked at for three weeks. Some of the things that we found, uh, some figurines, some pottery with like imprints and stuff like that, um, some cool stones with designs on them, a jawbone, all sorts of really cool things, full vessels of pottery, inscriptions, like just lots and lots of cool things that we found. But it was really cool just kind of getting to meet the people. Uh, and we had a group of, of Swedish uh, girls uh, that joined us. Um, so this is Tilda, and this is Philippa. Um, they were from Sweden. They were not Christians. Um, but we did have, one of the things that we did as kind of like a ministry to kind of uh, help, uh, kind of, uh, help spread the gospel is that every night we would have worship nights where we just sing songs, and then we would uh, basically have uh, like a little devotional or something like that. And um, we invited everybody to come, but uh, they, they did end up actually coming several times, and we really saw like some sensitivity in their hearts of just kind of to the gospel, and, and a lot of people had some really great discussions um, with, uh, with both of them, especially Tilda, she seemed especially sensitive to the gospel, and um, it was just really encouraging to kind of, like, see them, kind of God working in that. And so uh, our hope is that, you know, like, seeds were planted, maybe some seeds that had already been planted were being watered, um, and that uh, some may begin to be harvested for Christ's kingdom as well. Uh, one of the things we got to do is also we got to be on the streets of Jerusalem, and we got to sing hymns on the streets of Jerusalem. And several people walking by would actually join us in singing those hymns. And we got to talk to one man who was a Ukrainian refugee named Vitaly. He, uh, his family had actually been kidnapped, according to what he was saying. His family had been kidnapped by human traffickers. And he was trying to figure out some sort of court case issue to see them again. His English was really, really not great. But we were able to communicate with him fairly well. Um, we got to pray for him as a group with him. And then we s he actually stayed and stayed, sang several hymns with us. Uh, and we had several great opportunities with the gospel and with, with talking to people that just came and, you know, started singing. We would kind of have, like, a method where it was, like, you know, 80% of the group would continue singing, and then one or two people would go out and try to talk to these people and try to share music with them and, and kind of get to know them. Uh, and that's how we kind of got to know Vitaly and got to pray for him, and we continue to pray for him even now. But... And then we also just strive to be a witness for Christ through how we worked and what we did. We were at an archaeology dig with Israelis, um, not necessarily believers, um, that uh, we, we were there for three weeks and working with them. Um, and so we just tried to focus on working hard and we're quick to do whatever was needed of us. Everyone at the dig gave us great reports about the CCU students and said that they were far better than the group that had volunteered with them last time, who happened to be primarily unbelievers. So we tried to be a witness to those around us in every possible way. We focus on being ambassadors for Christ and all as we're called to do. Our hope is that seeds were planted, like I said, seeds were planted, plants, seed, uh, planted seeds were watered, and then some may begin to be harvested for Christ's kingdom. Uh, but to wrap up, last, last paragraph here. I can honestly say that this trip was the greatest trip of my life. Uh, the memories I made and knowledge I received through uh, going to Israel will be with me for my entire life. Uh, I also sincerely hope that the relationships I built 
uh, with my fellow students will also grow and last forever. We have all expressed how much we love the group and how much we want to stay in touch. We've already started planning ways to get back to each other, uh, back together and come the new school year. Uh, but I am truly astounded by how close we seem to have become in such a short time. I will never read my Bible the same way again. When I read a passage of scripture, especially with lots of geographical locations in it, uh, it just, it, it, I have an image that pops up in my head because I've, like, I've been there, you know. It's, it's so cool. And the imagery I have now is a blessing uh, I pray I don't ca- take for granted. Um, so not only will my Bible reading be affected, but I also know how I, I view different cultures uh, has also been affected, and I know how I can better pray for the country of Israel. Um, and of course, the trip has o- affected my relationships, but not just by making new friends, but also strengthening my own relationship with the Lord. Uh, through the theological discussions that we had in this, as a group, which we had a lot of theological discussions, and the devotional times, and the worship through singing together, the places we've visited, and the testimonies of others, I have felt convicted many times about where my relationship with the Lord is. I'm not in God's word as often as I want to be. I'm not in prayer as often as I want to be. I want to be more intentional and disciplined in how I spend my time. And that conviction I felt on this trip is something I wish to reflect on now that I'm home. Uh, And the Lord has really given me time to kind of do that. And I I don't want to ignore what the Lord is teaching me. And I think you guys really, uh, the people that kind of sent me there to Israel and helped support me, uh, you allowed me an opportunity for the Lord to really work in my life, my personal life, and my relationship with him as well, uh, as well as being able to proclaim the gospel to some of these people. So um, that's it. I'm sorry I went long. Um, I said I was going to try to shorten it. I don't think I did that at all. (laughs) But a couple things. I do have a table that's in the back uh, back there, kind of on the right side, Um, and it has some of the things that I, I, that, uh, I brought home. I have pieces of pottery back there that were I've actually dug up on on the dig, uh, and uh, I have quite a bit of pottery. So um, I don't think maybe I don't know. I, I don't know if I have enough for everyone, but you that pottery is actually for you guys to take. Uh, it is uh, not really dated, but it is likely from either the Iron Age or the Late Bronze Period, which is like. 2,700 years old to 3,000 years old. So um, it's just a piece of pottery, but it is really cool that it's that old, and uh, you guys can take it if you're interested. Uh, I'm thinking maybe one per family or one per per couple or whatever, uh, uh, one per person. Um, But uh, yeah, you can feel free to take that. I got some shekels back there. I have some stones that I actually took from the Elah Valley, which is where David fought Goliath. Um, and so lots of cool things to look at back there if you're interested. But anyway, um, yeah, again, if you have questions, feel free to talk to me, and I'll be happy to talk for many more <laughs> hours. So thank you, and uh, I think I'll go ahead and close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that I had to go to Israel and the opportunities with the gospel that I was able to have, Lord, with uh, several people. I pray, Lord, um, for uh, Ryan and, and Vitali and, and Philippa and Tilda, uh, those other people that we talked with, Lord, um, that we had opportunities with the gospel with. Pray, Lord, you continue to work on their heart, that you would um, convict them and, and, and help them to run into the arms.